0: Funding for Here and Now Anytime comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at mathworks.com.
1: Hi, this is Here and Now Anytime, where we give you a little news, a little something you weren't expecting, and always a fresh, in depth perspective on current events, arts and culture, and stories that matter. Subscribe or follow to get all our episodes out every weekday. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend about us to help spread the word. Now here's the show.
2: My memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory, take a look at what I've done since i become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things that I got passed. How'd that happen? You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on.
1: Biden may be old, but he says he knows a few things. It's Friday, February 9th, and this is Here and Now Anytime from NPR and WBUR Boston. I'm Chris Bentley. Today on the show, one Palestinian-Americans struggle with the U.S. State Department to get her family out of Gaza. Also, everything you need to know for Super Bowl Sunday, whether you're looking forward more to the game or the food,
3: This is like a dairy fest. You saute it with a little bit of white wine and garlic and olive oil. Yum. And then you whirl up some cream cheese, Parmesan, sour cream, lemon juice, and Tabasco. And then you stir in these beautiful marinated artichokes.
1: That's coming up in about 20 minutes. But first, the White House is in damage control mode today even though yesterday's special counsel report cleared President Biden of criminal wrongdoing in a case of handling classified documents. It concluded that Biden kept those classified documents in unsecure locations after he left the vice presidency. But the special counsel chalked it up to Biden being a, quote, well-meaning elderly man with poor memory and said it would be too difficult to convince jurors that Biden knew his handling of documents was wrong. So no criminal charges. On the other side of the aisle, Trump won the Nevada caucus, and he was successful in killing a border deal that emerged this week. He said it would have handed Democrats an election year victory, so he leaned on Republicans in Congress to kill it. A lot to discuss for our Friday Politics Roundtable, which this week includes John Ralston, CEO and editor of the Nevada Independent, and Chad Pergram, senior congressional correspondent for Fox News. They spoke with Jane Clayson and Deepa Fernandez.
4: How are Democrats reacting to these developments, John?
5: Well, I think they're concerned. And you mentioned damage control at the top of the segment. And they have to do damage control on this because uh, what Biden did by going out and doing that press conference and forgetting, mixing up the president's and, and making the kinds of comments that he did, is he just reinforced that that phrase from the special counsel's a report about him being essentially an enfeebled man. And now the Republicans, of course, are seizing on that. But but uh, the Democrats have been worried about this for a long time. I know they have been here in my home state of Nevada, which, as you know, is a purple state and where Trump has been leading uh, Biden. The only solace I think they can take is that in this world as we that we live in now, as you know, these things don't uh, ha- have much of a half-life because, Something else will happen today, tomorrow, next week. Indeed. Indeed. Well, well, that
6: kind of, you know, leads us into what I I wonder, Chad, you're hearing from Republicans because they've been blistering about all of this. I mean, Biden strongly denied sharing classified documents with his ghost rider. But the special counsel found that Biden did read to his ghostwriter from personal notebooks that contained classified information, for instance, about troop levels in Afghanistan. Chad, are Republicans going to use this to, to do more than what John says, but, but actually maybe to make it try and last?
7: Absolutely. And just the idea that they didn't do themselves any favors in that press conference last night, it kind of confirmed what some people critics on both sides of the aisle were kind of talking about Dean Phillips, the Democratic representative from Minnesota, who's been running, saying we need somebody new. Just a few minutes ago, I talked to Chris Van Hollen, the Democratic senator from Maryland. I asked him about Robert Hur, the special counsel in this case, and whether or not that was out of bounds. He said it was totally out of bounds, absolutely outrageous that he would bring this up. Uh, Jamie Raskin, the Democratic rep- representative from Maryland, uh, called this, quote, totally gratuitous. But I tell you, the other thing we're hearing privately from Democratic aides is that you know they probably should not have let the president do this that late at night. You know, there's been a lot of talk about doing his schedule early in the day, late afternoon at the latest, not something at night. And again, it goes directly into that narrative. And when Congress comes back next week, the Senate is here this weekend. But when the House gets back, that is going to be the only question in the hall. You know, for you know several years, we spent our time here on Capitol Hill running around asking. Uh, Republicans about their their comments about from President Trump or the latest tweet that he sent out, this will be a number one on Capitol Hill next Mm week.
4: Speaking of Donald Trump, he had an overwhelming victory in last night's Nevada caucus. And afterwards, John, you posted, quote, there has never been nor will there ever be a victory like this in American politics, maybe politics anywhere. What did you mean by that?
5: Well, I was being sarcastic because that is how Trump talks and how he talked last night and and the bottom line is he got ninety nine percent of the vote, yeah. you know the percentage of a vote that some third world dictators would be happy with, uh, but he exaggerated uh the caucus turnout said it was a record turnout uh it was not even close to a record turnout, and even if Even if it were, it was only uh, just a small percentage of Republican voters. And so, yes, I I was I was I was having uh, some mockery there on on Twitter, which, by the way, is about all that Twitter is good for these days. Mm -hmm. But this was a rigged event put on by a state Republican Party that is in the tank for Trump. Uh, And Trump got 99 percent of the vote because he was the only candidate on the ballot except for a guy Very few people have heard of by the name of Ryan Binkley. So none of this was a surprise.
6: Ryan who? Well, anyway, so former (laughs) President Trump also used the opportunity to praise arguments that his lawyers made in in the extraordinary case before the Supreme Court yesterday uh, to keep him on the ballot in Colorado, despite the 14th Amendment ban on insurrectionists holding office. Then he said this.
5: Is there any way we can call the election
7: for
6: next Tuesday? That's all I Okay, so legal experts seem to agree that the High Court is unlikely to ban him from the ballot in Colorado. Chad, what does this do for his campaign?
7: Well, sometimes we don't know how the court is going to uh, actually react. You know, there's a lot of prognostications that are going on right now, and, and sometimes they surprise us. And some people have argued that maybe the court even though it certainly tilts to the right, you know, there's definitely a Trump influence on this court from his term a couple of years ago here, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, you know, Brett Kavanaugh, we could go on. Sometimes the court has been in the crosshairs the past few years that uh, it's not being trusted. And they might surprise us because they might come out with a ruling saying, you know, we are reasserting our authority here. We don't want to be seen as a political institution. You know, that was some of the concern with the high court after the Bush v. Gore ruling in the fall of 2000. And so sometimes that might surprise us.
4: Hmm. Well, it was interesting because the Supreme Court justices seemed uninterested in deciding whether January 6th was an insurrection that disqualifies Trump from office, even though Justice Katanji Brown Jackson had this exchange with Trump's lawyer, Jonathan Mitchell.
1: For an insurrection, there needs to be an organized, concerted effort to overthrow the government of the United States through violence. And this and so the point that is that a
8: chaotic effort to overthrow the government is not an insurrection? No,
1: we didn't concede that it's an effort to
8: overthrow. The
4: government. So this election will move forward without a decision on that, John, is that problematic?
5: Well, it, it is It is in the sense that I think that people want some closure on this issue. They want a firm definition of what an insurrection is. And uh, there have been, as you know, just a catalog of legal opinions from experts on whether what happened on January 6th qualifies as an insurrection or not. Clearly, Donald Trump tried to subvert the will of the American people. He told Mike Pence to essentially decide an election that had already been decided. I, I think by most uh, dispassionate people that that is the definition of an insurrection. But whether that's what the 14th Amendment intended is a completely different uh, question. And so I, I don't think the Supreme Court is, is, is going is going to go along with what Colorado did. And, and, you know, I think we're just being naive if we don't think that the Supreme Court is sometimes, I know this is shocking, governed, partly by political concerns. And to throw Trump off the ballot would, would create so much, I think, civil unrest and polarize the country even more so. And that has to be the in the minds of all of the justices.
6: You know, let's move on to the week that it has been in Congress, like many in the very recent past, tumultuous. On the Senate floor, Oklahoma Republican James Lankford expressed his frustration after Republicans fell in line behind Trump and rejected a bipartisan immigration deal that Lankford had been working on for months and that was to reform the asylum system, even shutting down the border if migration levels get too high.
2: Americans are ticked off that this is not resolved and they expect us to get things done. So why don't we do that?
6: So I, I wonder, Chad, you know, Republicans have been calling for these kinds of policies. They shut it down and Democrats are now saying they'll make them pay for this at the ballot box. Is this just all politics?
7: Democrats uh, are historically weak on this border security issue. Uh, you know, we did some polling here at Fox News and uh, found after what happened in Iowa, the caucuses there, the New Hampshire primary, that this was issue A number one to most voters in those states. And those aren't border states. I mean, New Hampshire, of course, is a border with Canada, but they're not you know, with the southern border. Uh, This is a problem for the Biden administration. Now, as to the politics of this, yes, former President Trump asserted a lot of his concerns. And you know, there's a big saying here on Capitol Hill that when you think you have the votes, you vote. We kept having this bill teased for weeks and weeks and weeks. In fact, James Lankford came on our air in early January and said the bill was going to be out a couple of days later. It never came. And because you had this vacuum, what happened is the former president and these forces who were opposed to any border security or immigration bill uh, just to kill it, they were able to, you know, create this narrative that this was a bad bill. It did all these bad things. And when you have this vacuum, anything that James Lankford or Chris Murphy, the Democratic senator from Connecticut, Kirsten Sinema, the Independent from Arizona, they could not counter that narrative. And that's why this is dead. And so we're right back to where we started uh, just dealing with this international aid package for Ukraine. Mm. Uh, and that's probably going to pass uh, sometime early next week. There's going to be a weekend session here on Capitol Hill for the Senate. Mm.
4: John, 10 seconds. Still no funding for Israel, Taiwan, or Ukraine.
5: Yeah, it's just it's terrible to see things that are so substantive uh, killed because of politics.
6: John Ralston, CEO and editor of the Nevada Independent. Chad Pergram from Fox News. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank
7: you.
1: Coming up next... A Palestinian American law student says the Israeli military is holding two of her relatives, who are American citizens, without charges. When we return, Deepa hears about her months long fight with the State Department for help evacuating family members from Gaza, which has taken on a new urgency with the news of her cousins' detentions. That's after the break.
0: Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, an automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares why accessibility is central to Betterment's mission.
1: The real innovation for Betterment was taking a set of tools that were used by the ultra wealthy and making them accessible to the average investor. And that includes tax strategies. That includes dollar cost averaging. These are
0: all sort of tricks of the trade. Learn more about automated investing technology at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed.
6: Family members of Palestinian Americans in Gaza say the Israeli military is holding two U.S. citizens without charge. Borak and Hashem Ilaga were asleep in their relatives' home in Gaza early Thursday morning, when according to family members, Israeli officers stormed the house and took all of the men in the household, including two teenagers who are U.S. citizens. The family does not know their current whereabouts. We are joined now by Yasmin Il-Aga, a law student in Chicago and cousin of the two young men taken by Israeli forces. She's been working to get her family members out of Gaza. Yasmin, welcome to Here and Now. Thank you for having me. Yasmin, tell me about the call you received Wednesday night from your aunt in Gaza
8: and your aunt, who is the mother of Hisham and Borak. I received a call from my aunt around 9.30pm on Wednesday and her voice was shaky, she was sobbing uncontrollably and she told me that Israeli forces stormed into the house as they were sleeping, they broke the doors down, they tied up the women and children and threw them against a wall, they grabbed all the men in the home destroyed everything inside of the house, confiscated all electronics, threw the women and children tied up outside of the home, destroyed the inside of it, slashed all the car's tires so they had no means of transportation, and disappeared with the men, leaving the women and the children tied outside.
0: Hmm.
8: And did they give any reason why? None at all. The last thing I heard from my aunt before my cousins were taken um, was that... You know, they're feeling the pressure. They knew that the Israeli soldiers were closing in on the Al Mawasi where they were. And they were really, really terrified. But they had no reason to be specifically targeted or taken.
6: And we reached out to the Israeli military for response to what the family and Yasmin is telling us happened. And they told NPR they are still looking into it. Tell me about your cousins, 20-year-old Hisham and 18-year-old Borak. They were born and raised in the Chicago suburbs, but I understand they moved back to Gaza several years ago to support their and your grandparents.
8: What was their life like there? Yeah, Borak and Hashem were born and raised in the U.S. for the early parts of their childhood. We actually grew up together. It was always so much fun seeing them. Their father had a little juice shop down on Roosevelt Road that we always hung out at. And... They moved to Gaza, you know, in the late 2000s, and I visited them just last year in Gaza, and I visited them before as well, and I always just noticed how much of a light they are. Burak recently graduated high school at the top of his class. Hashem had also, you know, just always been such a strong support system in his community, And both boys were the primary caretakers for their elderly grandparents. They were the primary caretakers for their mentally disabled uncle. And they were such beautiful role models for their um, younger siblings. I mean, you're talking about the backbone of the family being ripped out. And all of us are feeling the loss. My aunt is just absolutely devastated. And internationally, people are feeling their absence.
6: Mm. And you particularly have been since October 7th, calling the State Department and and trying to get uh, your family members out of Gaza. Tell me about that process.
8: Yeah, my family has been expressing or had been expressing for a while that they really wanted to exit Gaza because the condition was just so incredibly unsafe. And it obviously wasn't an easy decision for them to come to. But once they did, we tried to advocate with the U.S. government as much as we could to get them out. And we had pretty much no response from the U.S. government. We even sued the Biden administration in order to get them to act to evacuate these Americans from Gaza. And I've been advocating tirelessly for months now, publicly and internally, and I've heard almost nothing from the Biden administration. And even now, as my cousins were taken hostage, the American government has given me no update. I haven't heard anything from White House officials. I haven't heard anything from anyone who has actual knowledge of the matter. And I think it really shows that Palestinian Americans are not necessarily the priority for the American government.
6: I want to ask you, um, you know, you uh, said your cousins are taken hostage. The the media is largely reporting they were arrested or detained why you, Why do you say they were taken hostage?
8: I think saying arrested and detained implies that there was wrongdoing that led to their taking. And my cousins committed no crime, and they weren't provided a reason for why they were taken. They weren't provided a location or any procedure. It was a totally arbitrary taking. So I do believe the U.S. has a legal duty to bring my family home as if they were taken hostage, because they were. There was no wrongdoing that led to their taking.
6: And as I understand it, Yasmin, in the course of the Israeli forces coming into the home in Gaza and and taking your relatives, it was made clear to them that Hisham and Borak were US citizens.
8: Yeah. My aunt was screaming to the Israeli soldiers. She told them, these are Americans, these are Canadians. And they told her to shut up. They didn't seem to care. And I think it is the apathy of the U.S. government in totally leaving American lives abroad unprotected that emboldened them to act and respond in such a way.
6: Yasmin Il-Aga is a law student in Chicago, and she's the cousin of the two young men taken by Israeli forces Wednesday night. Yasmin, thank you for joining us, and please keep us updated as you learn more about your family situation. Of course, thank you. And we reached out to the State Department to ask about Hisham and Borak. They told us they're aware of reports of the detention of two U.S. citizens in Gaza and seek to provide appropriate consular assistance, but would not comment further, citing privacy considerations. We also asked the Israeli military detailed questions about what Yasmin told us, and they said they are still looking into it.
1: Coming up, the Super Bowl is this Sunday. It's in Las Vegas for the first time ever. That city loves a spectacle, so it makes sense, I guess. After the break, Jane Clayson previews the game and will also bring you some ideas for Super Bowl dishes to serve. Something for everyone, regardless of whether you're invested in the game itself or the ads. Stick around.
2: Try Bluehost Cloud, the hosting plan made for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, fast load times, and 24-7 support, your sites can handle high traffic spikes. Visit Bluehost.com.
0: Support for NPR and the following message come from Bombas. Bombas makes absurdly soft socks, underwear, and t-shirts. And for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash NPR and use code NPR.
4: The Super Bowl is this Sunday, and for the first time in Las Vegas, the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers will face off, as they did four years ago at the big game. The Ringer's senior NFL editor, Lindsay Jones, is in Sin City. She joins us now. Hi, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So the Kansas City Chiefs, they are the reigning champions, but the 49ers are the favorites of the bookies, as I read here, and have been in every game they've played this season. Tell us what you are looking for in this matchup.
9: This, to me, feels like a real legacy-making type of Super Bowl where the 49ers, and especially their coach, Kyle Shanahan, are finally trying to win a championship and get over the hump. And then there's the Kansas City Chiefs that, if they win the Super Bowl, they are truly the next NFL dynasty. Mm
4: -hmm. So the 49ers, led by their unlikely star quarterback, Brock Purdy, then on the other side, we've got Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, former MVP, one of the great quarterbacks to play the game. Tell us about these two-star quarterbacks,
9: these two guys could not be more different in terms of their quarterback pedigree, how they came into the league, and the type of performances that they've put up throughout their careers. On one hand, you have Patrick Mahomes, who has basically already cemented his legacy as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, so physically gifted, can throw from any arm angle, He kind of takes our breath away every single game. And then you have Brock Purdy, who was the last pick in the 2022 draft. So nobody really expected that he would become a starting quarterback, let alone potentially. Super Bowl champion quarterback. But he has exceeded expectations at every turn, and he has been, so far, the perfect quarterback for a Kyle Shanahan offense. He hasn't been perfect, but he has been really good on this very, very talented 49ers team.
4: All right, then. So what are the weaknesses that these two teams have? Where could this game be lost?
9: Each of these teams does have some um, defensive liabilities where these quarterbacks that we talked about should be able to take advantage for the 49ers. They're going to be looking to run the ball, exploit the Chiefs' weaknesses on their pass defense. And then the weakness that I'm looking at with the Chiefs is their receivers have not been good this year. They led the league in drops. And so I really want to see if this is a game where those guys who have not played well for large stretches of this season can come through for Patrick Mahomes and catch the ball in these key moments.
4: You've been on the ground in Vegas for a few days now. What's the atmosphere like like as we build toward the Super Bowl?
9: Las Vegas is ready. The strip is packed. There's people with NFL jerseys all over. You know, the Super Bowl parties are starting. And the NFL has really embraced this, you know, Sin City gambling, um, sports betting lifestyle, which has been, you know, really interesting to see. But Las Vegas definitely feels ready.
4: Last year, Super Bowl viewership hit a record. In a fractured media environment, this is really one of the last places where we see a singular gathering of viewers. Any predictions this year? I imagine that we'll see more viewers than we saw last year. There were
9: 115 million people who watched the Chiefs beat the Eagles in last year's Super Bowl. This year, I mean, there have been record ratings throughout the season, and I think there's a lot of very intense interest in this game because there is a ton of star power. There is a ton at stake. And yes, we should also be seeing some Taylor Swift throughout the broadcast.
4: And Usher for the halftime show.
9: Absolutely. I'm really
4: looking forward to that. All right. Who's your pick, Lindsay? Lindsay?
9: I'm going with the underdog Kansas City Chiefs. I've spent a lot of time trying to work my head around picking the 49ers, but it just feels foolish to pick against Patrick (laughs) Mahomes on this stage.
4: That's the Ringer's senior NFL editor, Lindsay Jones. She's in Las Vegas for the big game. Lindsay, thanks so much. (laughs) Thank you for having me.
1: The Super Bowl is like a secular American holiday at this point. And fittingly enough, it's got its own traditional dishes. I like to think of it as Thanksgiving's rowdy nephew. If you don't care about the point spread, here and now's resident chef Kathy Gunst has another spread for you. Three new dishes that you can prepare and serve without missing the action, including two with nods to the hometowns of the teams playing. She told Deepa and Robin Young all about them.
3: I mean, here's the thing about the Super Bowl is because the ads are so good, nobody wants to leave the TV for several hours. Mm-hmm. So what you eat has to be done ahead of time. It has to be served at room temperature. You don't mm-hmm. want to be like hopping up and down and missing all those great close-ups of Taylor Swift looking mm-hmm. lovingly. In her red the field <laughs> In her red sweater. Okay, so let's do the first nod to dear old California and to the 49ers. This is a classic. It's a California artichoke dip. Um, You do not need to use fresh artichokes for this, though they are in season in the Bay Area. You use really good quality jarred or canned marinated artichokes. This is like a dairy fest. You saute it with a little bit of white wine and garlic and olive oil. Yum. And then you whirl up some cream cheese, Parmesan, sour cream, Mm, lemon juice, and Tabasco. And then you stir in these beautiful marinated artichokes, and then you put them into a little casserole and you top them with Frizzled or very well sauteed shallots, which are a beautiful mild onion. A little bit of chili flakes, and you serve it at room temperature or hot. And another nod to California: serve it with sourdough bread or Mm. vegetables, since everybody in California is so health conscious. So it's it's a (laughs) very unhealthy dip with some good. Yes, of course. (laughs)
6: Uh, And and you know the biggest nod to California, of course, is the sriracha in there. Go heavy on the sriracha. (laughs) For me, but you also have a recipe for Kansas City style ribs. Sounds good, but I want to warn people sit down, don't get upset because Kathy (laughs) uses the oven. I use the oven
3: because it's the dead of winter in many places. And, you know, before people start screaming, the important word in this recipe is Kansas City style. So (laughs) what I do is I make a quick spice rub. I combine brown sugar, smoked paprika. That's going to give it a smokiness because it's not on the grill. Of course you can do this on the grill. It's got garlic, onion powder, cumin. It's fabulous. You spread it on a rack of St. Louis style ribs marinated overnight or at least an hour and then you bake the Ribs at a low, slow temperature, 300 degrees, several hours. Do this in the morning before the game. A really quick barbecue sauce. Also, a nod to Kansas City. It uses molasses, cider vinegar, chili flakes. So good. I was amazed at how well Mm. these turned out in a regular old kitchen oven. If she does say so herself. (laughs) She does. She does. Well, well, finally, you have a recipe. There were a lot of questions about this in our morning meeting. It's a Polenta
6: pizza, you might have to explain polenta to some people. Everybody knows pizza, but people who know both didn't understand how they get combined.
3: Okay, this is not that complicated. Polenta is coarse cornmeal. It comes from northern Italy. You usually have it as the base of a big stew or something. I thought, why not make polenta ahead of time, spread it onto a cookie sheet, let it chill, and then bake it? And then Think of the polenta as the pizza dough and then any Uh, topping you want. I use sauteed spinach, sweet red pepper, um, some salami or soppressata, fresh basil. You could use any vegetables you want, anything you have around. And then you bake it in the oven and you serve it at room temperature. And let me say that each of these little polenta squares are so beautiful look at the website look at the picture okay. but I also want to say the next morning there were a few leftovers I fried an egg and popped it on top of this polenta Ooh. pizza really good really good for the day after
6: I want to go to' Ooh, your house. you're a gastro artist Kathy so <laughs> leave us with leave us with a quick last suggestion if you're having a Super Bowl party.
3: Well, there's the guacamole, there's the spiced nuts, deviled eggs, quesadilla, cocktails, mocktails, beer. Also, soup is a good idea. We're going to be talking about that in a few weeks because it's all made ahead of time. Don't give yourself something to serve where you have to go run into the kitchen every five minutes because you'll miss all those great (laughs) close-ups. Oh, I just want to say, just real quick, I am at the website. That polenta pizza, gorgeous. Gorgeous. Isn't that pretty? It's a Very hit. Very simple. Okay.
6: Yeah. Mm. Here and Now, resident chef Kathy Gunst. We'll have all Kathy's recipes at hereandnow.org. Kathy, thank you. As thank always.
3: Thank you so much. Enjoy the game.
1: That's our show. It comes from the team behind Here and Now from NPR and WBUR Boston. Today's stories were produced by Lynn Menegon, Hafsa Qureshi, Thomas Danielian, and Emiko Tamagawa. Today's editors were Todd Munt, Peter O'Dowd, Mikaela Rodriguez, and Kat Welch. Technical direction from Caleb Green and Michaela Varela. Mike Moschetto wrote our theme music along with Max Liebman and me, Chris Bentley. Our digital producers are Allison Hagen and Grace Griffin. And the executive producer of Here and Now is Carlene Watson. Thanks for listening. If you're celebrating the Lunar New Year, Xin Yang Kuai Le. And we'll be back with you on Monday.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from the NPR Wine Club. NPR Wine Club members have contributed over $1.5 million to helping create a more informed public. Be 21. Join the charge at nprwineclub.org slash podcast. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success.